0: my friend Tyler Marco obviously you know him and he raced in XPRL ran by our uh, favorite person ever Uh, I I won't name unless you do um nah
1: (laughs) we don't need to go there (laughs) only one person I'll go in that route but that's for another episode another story for another time and boss my senior year in college oof that's bringing back memories just saying that right there (laughs) This is Behind the Exploratory Lenses, episode number four. Yes, indeed, we are back at the swing of things with Emerson Arden, who, I must say, is probably the most ideal guest that we have next in this program, considering what has happened around the United States of America and around the world with the stuff that is going around, with the protests, and just the demand for change for all people of color, notably the black people. It is a subject matter that is still in the minds of everyone, especially at Atlanta Motor Speedway Sunday with the NASCAR Cup Series going on, where they stop the field before the race commenced to recognize and remember what is very vital in this world, and that is finding the justice and equality for those in the minorities. And while I discussed all of that in the Raw and Unedited episode last time, make sure to listen to it if you're inclined to do so, if you're willing to listen. Salute to Bubba Wallace and salute to Kirk Price. One of the NASCAR officials that is of color as well. And it's time for change, no doubt about it. And fingers crossed that the next episode you'll hear multiple voices about their situation, how they feel about it. And it will be on June 18th. Following that, we'll finally roll into what I like to consider some normalcy with this program. Because as I mentioned on the last episode, I try to provide a different feel, a different vibe to get people's minds out of that. But it's one of those situations you just cannot avoid. Everything that I said and how I feel about it is on the previous episode. Right now, we got to talk about stuff that certainly get people thinking about different aspects of life. Especially when there's a young person. Because let's not forget, graduations across the country, college and high school, are going on. And the very guest that you'll be hearing just graduated from high school. So when you hear his story... Bear in mind, we recorded this a couple weeks ago before everything that is going around happened. Because at that point, when we when we talked, it is a meaningful, valuable, quality talk that we had, and I hope you guys will enjoy and stick around to listen to his tale, because he's more than just a racing gamer. He's more than just that. When I first met him back in 2015 through a racing league that I participate every now and then. But when we started to know each other bit by bit, it was from another racing league that you'll hear about, and as you could tell in the beginning, we don't think of that individual very fondly. We just have to accept that not many people aren't like that, aren't going to be buddy buddies. And as far as that little titbit about someday I'll mention that one person regarding my senior year in college, time will tell. My heart will probably change, and then I'm probably just not do name drops. We don't necessarily do name drops under those circumstances. I don't want a particular where we'll definitely guarantee we're going to talk about a lot of things and more on the YouTube landscape, but also just in general how to deal with things when, when you realize the mega landscape is just not as good as people amounted to. But that's a different subject for another time. As far as NASCAR is concerned, Kevin Harvick won the race at Atlanta for his 51st win of his career. I'm telling you, Kevin Harvick has pretty much asserted himself he's the first ballot Hall of Famer since joining Stuart Haas. He now has led over 10,000 laps since joining that team in 2014. My silly mistake is assuming that it was the 10,000 lap lead of his career. I don't know what the hell was I thinking. This is his 20th cup season he's definitely led way more than 10,000 laps. And then I realized, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let me go fix that and put, correction, this is the 10,000 lap he's led with Stu Haas. That's what happens when you cover IndyCar all day long, which Scott Dixon won, making him only the second driver. He's now equal with A.J. Foyt for the number of seasons with at least one win in IndyCar at 18. He has won now 16 straight seasons in the sport. The Iceman is definitely making the case that he's going to be a true championship contender. And it's a great start from the Dixon-Michael Cannon era of Chip Ganassi Racing in 2020. But who would have thought that something NASCAR related would mess up an IndyCar race with the PJ1? That was just disastrous. Where they scraped it off, but yet it just made it undrivable. The groove was just not working. Unless you're Scott Dixon... You made it work to get by Joseph Newgarden in lap 91. The rubbish thing about the race quality, it was on prime time. Fortunately, over a million people watched the primetime race on the big boy NBC. Not NBCSN, not MSNBC, but the big boy NBC. That's what I'm going to refer it as. Anyways, hopefully when I do get Joey Barnes to this program, who did stuff not just for Auto Week, but also Racer at the track. He was one of the very few that got to be at the track at the season opener. No doubt when I have him on someday, depending on his schedule and depending on mine, of course, we will discuss about that season opener in larger detail. But for now, let's shift from racing for a little bit and talk about music. Yes, we're going to talk about music. Because this is the seventh straight week with this new number one song. It's starting to feel like total hot potato. Much like how the Billboard Hot 100 was from 1988 to 1989 where it seemed like there was a number one song every single week. Because that's how I feel about that right now with the 2020 song. Here are the songs that have been number one in the span of seven weeks. Blinding Lights by The weekend. The Scots by The Scots, Travis Scott, and Kid Cudi. Say So with Doja Cat featuring Nicki Minaj. Stuck With You, Ariana Grande, and Justin Bieber. I already told you how I feel about this song. It's going to be forgettable. I talked about Savage last time when I had Balto Racing. Savage was done by Megan Thee Stallion and Beyonce. But since my last episode with it, guests, there's been two number one songs. One being Rain On Me with Lady Gaga featuring Ariana Grande. And Rockstar with the baby featuring Roddy Rich. I'll tell you what about Roddy Rich. The Box? Horrible. Garbage. Heinous. 2008 auto-tune Kanye at West Wannabe. Do not like that song. It's one of the worst songs of this year so far. Speaking of that, let's might as well talk about the new number one song, which is Rockstar. When I looked at the title, I was like, oh great, Rockstar, oh boy, it's going to be another doozers, it's going to be another, grab your pillow, boring, repetitive garbage, Just Consider Ronnie Rich was in it, I do not know who the baby is at all, so I had no clue what it was, but judging by the song title and who's featured, I was thinking, oh boy, this is going to be horrible, let's get this thing over with. And lo and behold, with the exception of nerds, Rockstar, this is probably the best one out of the bunch, because obviously, remember, a couple years ago, you had Moses Malone's rock star. Post Malone? You keep doing stuff like that, and we're going to lose our sponsor which I consider one of the most boring songs of all time to hit number one. Rockstar, I gave it a two out of five. Beat-wise, it's got a little early 2000s throwback. Lyrically, it's pretty good, but overall, it's just an average song. It's better than Nickelback's Rockstar. It's better than Post Malone's Rockstar. Then I heard Nerd's Rockstar, and I was like, it's not even close. It's no doubt that's the best song with just the word Rockstar. You obviously have Party Like a Rockstar, which is way better than all those. Not saying much, to be frank. But Rockstar is a passable song, for now. Then the previous one was Rain On Me with Lady Gaga featuring Ariana Grande. Again, as I mentioned, I'm not the biggest Ariana fan, especially when there's number one hits. Feature or top billing. When I heard this song, I was like, oh, please be somewhat decent just because Lady Gaga is in it. Please just be decent just because she's in it. Because Lady Gaga's new album is kind of back to her, what she was known for when she started her career, the electronic stuff, the pop stuff. With Rain On Me, it's like, it, I could not fully get into it, but I don't mind it at all. I kind of like the record. This is no doubt Ariana's best number one song. It doesn't take much, to be brutally honest. I think, if I remember, I gave it a two... A three out of five somewhere around that range. Yeah, I'm content with a three out of five with that one. It's gonna take a few more listeners to fully embrace that song. I'm still sticking with blinding lights as the song the number one single of the year. Five stars, you're not going to top it in my book. There's no way unless something ass good. I don't give out five stars in recent songs. And when I further do analyze and critique these number one songs from way back, way even back from 58 through 89, and then from 92 to 99, those are the, those are the ones I haven't done yet. Then I'll see how many five stars I given in a songs after 89. Because at 89 onwards is rare. It's going to end up being rare. In fact, there were none that had warranted a five-star rating for me in the 2010s. But make sure you tune in over time, because I will definitely talk about the best number one singles of all time, decade and overall, and also the worst. So that is your music talk. So let's talk about Emerson Arden. When we talked a couple weeks ago, after, before the, everything that's going on with with the murderers of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, we talked about the COVID-19 impacting his senior year. And when you hear that discussion with Emerson, it does get pretty deep when it comes to his professors that kind of guide him to get through tough circumstances. Much like sometimes I will have to go through tough circumstances and I would lean on a couple people, notably TJ Trenchell from my college days and other people as well. But considering how we first met through XPRL, it's a NASCAR 15 racing league, NASCAR 14 and 15, to where we're at right now, him owning EWRL, jumping into the racing world, and now pursuing an education in pharmacy, but also known as a theater kid. This was our first major conversation we ever had. We met twice at Texas Motor Speedway. Y'all gonna enjoy this discussion when he met one of his heroes, two of his heroes, one from the broadcasting side and one in the racing world. You will not be disappointed. I hope you take the time to listen from a high schooler's perspective. It's kind of like I'm... It's kind of like bringing me to camp a little bit, like Emerson has made my delicate over the years, and I've been his the junior counselor. When I started doing league racing, or being involved in league racing, he was a very young lad, but very mature for his age. So without further ado, I'll just have Emerson introduce himself and jump in to the interview.
0: All hey, right, well, hi. I'm Emerson Arn. I, uh, I'm currently trying to be a rising broadcaster on the uh, sim racing scene when it comes to racing and uh, Formula One and Project Cars and this and that nature. Uh, but... What people don't know about me, for the most part, maybe they do once close, would know that I'm heavily involved in theater production. One of my great interests would be to go into pharmacy, as math and chemistry make up a huge makeup of that, and just how I've come up through school has made me the
1: person that I am today. It is my absolute honor to have Emerson Arden. How are you doing today?
0: I'm fantastic. Uh, thank you for having me. Really appreciate this uh, opportunity to have me on your podcast. I know uh, how much you've been, how hard you've been working the past few years. As we've been friends, what about five years now? Six years?
1: It's been five years. Yeah, talk about five years. It's been is a lifetime ago at this point.
0: Oh yeah, back on the PS3 days.
1: <laughs> yeah, back when I said I was going to get a PS3, but that ultimately never panned out. It still works, but I even thought about it what I was at a Fred Meyer, thinking, "Well, I got a good amount of money. Let me see if they still have some PS3s." Unfortunately, they did. <laughs> oh man,
0: yeah. Um, actually, I I just got a PC, so my I just disconnected my PS3 in the closet uh, for the first time, and it'll probably stay there, in permanent storage.
1: <laughs> well, it was one of the one of those days we pulled it back out because I have. An Xbox 360, that's one of my brother's Xboxes, that doesn't work anymore. The Nintendo 64 works. The PS2 still works, and it's not the slim one to make that very clear. Ah. Just the original PS3 does not work, which is kind of a bummer because I was looking into probably buying NCAA Football 14 for digital. And I'm not (laughs) too crazy about digital gaming, but I figured if digital is all I got for the PS3, while it still has some decent shelf life, then I might as well go get it. Hard to find. Could not find it on sale, which was a bummer.
0: Yeah, aren't they making a new one that's supposed to be coming out uh, in the coming seasons or something? Uh, I thought the NCAA was talking about that.
1: I haven't heard much about that aspect too much. I know there's a couple <clears throat> of independent gaming companies that try to make something close to it, but they're still in their infancy as far as development. So it may take a few years with like the Doug Lutie football game. I thought about buying it, but I decided to held against it because I feel like, mm, with considering the PS4 that I got it has a limited amount of space to begin with. I just said, you know what, I'm just going to stick with one or two games and just go with that instead. Yeah, the PS4 space, it's limited. It's Well, you know, in, in the grand
0: scheme of things, maybe a few years back, you know, half a terabyte, that sounds like a lot. But, yeah, I ended up getting a, a four terabyte external hard drive for my PS4 that I now use on my PC. And uh, it's good now, but, I mean, it, as games get bigger and bigger and more complex, they need more space for them. It's just you know, they're going to be space-eating monsters
1: yeah for sure speaking of the playstation 3 days it's interesting how we came a long way because back when we what all started that ill-fated racing league that is known as xpRL
0: (laughs) ah yes
1: uh... i think that's one we could start talking about how we went from that and kind of share my people how i went from just being the kind of like the puppet of the xpRL to decide you know what this EWRL group seems more mellow relaxed and they actually enjoy playing there's no drama hullabaloo.
0: Yeah. As far as like me, how I got to XPRL at first, uh, I you know, I ran my own league, extreme motor racing league, it was just as a PS three league on NASCAR fourteen. I I got drivers from it and the first one or one of my originals I had on there was my friend Tyler Marco, obviously you know him. And he raced in XPRL, ran by our uh, favorite person ever. <laughs> we don't need to go there. Oof, that's oh, bringing back memories, just saying that right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember when we talked about it at Texas in June, that you mentioned that he'd be lucky to even find Texas Motor Speedway. Yeah, yeah. But the fortunate thing is, I think out of everyone in the group, I'm glad that you were the first one that I met within that group.
0: Right, yeah. Markle was the one who brought me into that league, and I raced, and I don't think I ever won, but I always had like a race-winning car in the racing side of it. But yeah, you were pretty active on the uh, in the Facebook group as well. You were really into it, and like your passion, just even just trying to stay connected with us, as you weren't able to race yourself in the league, was was amazing. And we started talking after you started. You made some posts in the chat and everything. You were you were hilarious.
1: Yeah, the that those were the good because I remember the first notable encounter we had the conversation. It was I forget if it was on my channel or the other guy's channel where we're talking about some race review where you were I think it was yeah. I know which I don't know what day it was. It was the NFC Championship game when my Seahawks whooped the Packers ass on that NFC Championship game. When I used to be a Michael Bennett fan, when he rode the bicycle, he got a bicycle, Mago. <laughs> I know, you were giving me hell about <laughs> being a Seahawks guy and all of that. Uh,
0: uh, <laughs> Super Bowl Forty Nine. Do you remember your first podcast episode? <laughs> yeah,
1: Super Bowl
0: Forty Nine. <laughs> Hey man, you can hate all you want, but that—that's be Carol, man.
1: <laughs> I got nothing. It's not just him. It goes through Daryl Babel and I believe Tom Cable. There was more than just Carol. It's all just the decision making and what went behind it. It's all the staff members fall in that regard because you—you you Mar at the time. You had Marshawn Lynch. You—you you do you, you today in 2020, 2019, last season. That's all what Marshawn was used for. Get those very few yards to get it a touchdown or a first down. You could have used him there, and then boom, the whole landscape. And who knows, maybe that dynasty would have still been around to this day. Honestly. And he was.
0: He was definitely one of those monster yard kind of guys. Fight for every last yard, and we we were scared. Y'all were down in the ends, zone. we thought it it was over. Luckily, we had <laughs> Butler come up with the the pick, and, and it was on from there. Well, we had to get out of the one yard line,
1: but out of the, after that, what stings even more is considering I mentioned the I'll mention this. My my favorite teams in the NFL are the Seahawks. The Falcons, I do have a soft spot for the Oakland Raiders. And yes, I said Oakland because we're not starting NFL season. So once September rolls along, I'm going to call it Vegas. For now, they're still Oakland to me. As as you
0: couldn't tell already, I'm a I'm a New England Patriots fan. And e- even with Tom Brady's departure, I'm, I'm still here for the Patriots. Jared Sidden, you know, Sid the Kid and everything. But I have a soft spot for the Bengals dating back to the Carson Palmer days and Housh and Ocho Cinco. No, uh,
1: that was that was a good see. squad. Yeah, there's so, that two the 2000s NFL. There were so many good teams. There's so many good quarterbacks that just got to go down like Dan Marino, one of the best to never win a championship. Some haven't even made it to the Super Bowl like a Philip Rivers. To think that we're gonna have Philip Rivers not reach the Super Bowl yet, you can probably consider he could be a Hall of Famer, not first ballot. It may take about a couple years. But he'll get in for sure. We consider he's probably eclipsed Dan Fouts. That's probably the best Charger quarterback of all time.
0: Oh, well, if we're gonna talk about that, we can't forget
1: about Pat Stafford. I mean, <clears throat> Matthew Stafford. Yep, Matthew Stafford. is another one. Even outside of the quarterback, Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders, way back way. And I feel for Marco. I know Marco mentioned, yeah, I may be complaining about my Mariners and sometimes the Seahawks idiotic moments, but I totally get where he's come from when it comes to the Detroit sports teams because they have it tough right now. At least we have the Seahawks and the Storm and the Sounders for Detroit. And I know the Red when,
0: Wings. Maybe I don't really keep up with hockey, but the
1: Red Wings have been on the downturn, from what I recall, for uh-huh. the last decade or so. But when we trash our teams or one another, it's all just for riving and fun and all. So I totally understand. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean you can't take sports too seriously when it comes to like you know personal relationships and friendships. Like they're just sports. It's entertainment. You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, yes, we're, we're passionate. It's great to be passionate about sports teams and all. Great to be passionate about favorite drivers in NASCAR and all. But at the end of the day, it's just entertainment. You don't know the guy, the, the people personally.
1: Yeah, like even my editor-in-chief of World Review is a 49ers guy. And also, two no, in particular our Saints fans, like, I'm surrounded by teams that I just don't care for or necessarily like. It's like, I've seen it all and I just have to be a fairly good trooper. I'm not just going to lose sleep over a loss. I'll be upset for the moment or find some pitfalls. But overall, it, it is what it is. I don't know about the Packers, though. That one is flesh of the wood, considering the Seahawks' is, for the past decade and a half has been Green Bay when you look at the big scope of things, especially during the postseason.
0: Right, I mean, Green Bay, they're something else, man. I mean, if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers, we wouldn't even be talking about Green Bay.
1: At this point, that would be true, considering now the big question is just the quarterback ordeal. Yeah. Now, if I want to hear from your perspective as far as the New England Patriots is concerned, Who would you want a quarterback? How do you feel about the whole quarterback talks? With everything that's going on with the crisis, it hasn't been talked about as much as I would have known or hoped by this time period.
0: Yeah, like the sports the the debate shows, they've talked about Tom Brady a lot. But as far as the quarterback situation in New England, not so much. At the very start of free agency, I I mean, we all knew Cincinnati was going to draft Joe Burrow. I wanted Andy Dalton. I personally believe that the Red Rifle, he can ball. And, you know... I have a soft spot for Cincinnati. I've had a soft spot for Andy Dalton. You know, glad he's in Dallas, you know, and look at this, Ray, looking like he's having a good chance to, sh- to start. That- that's who I wanted, number one. You know, the Cam Newton thing, it sounded appealing, but he gets injured so much. I, I just I- – I wouldn't want to anyway because by game five, we're going to put in Brian Hoyer. Like, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I- I've i seen Jared Stidham's highlights. There, there was one – uh a couple preseasons seasons ago, Danny Etling, he was very mobile. I wish we kept him, but we did release him. But yeah, it's kind of kind of right in the this. Did the kid train Bel- Bel- Belichick? likes him. And I guess that's all we we have right now, you know. Brian Hoyer is, is back in New England for what what is this like the fifth time? He's he's here. He's our backup. He knows the playbook.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting time period for New England, considering they'll be going to Seattle. I'm not sure if I'll go to that one. It's just so depends on how the IndyCar calendar falls. Right. Because right now, I've heard Portland could be on the shopping block if they want to. Because they're not looking to get large capacity, cars until the tail end of August to September. And what I've heard through Racer... Is that Toronto could fall in that Portland weekend. If Portland somehow, unfortunately, gets the chopping block, like all my West Coast racers have been on the chopping block. Look at Long Beach, for example, and to maybe Laguna. I don't know how they're going to get to Laguna at this point with California being so finicky about it right now.
0: Right. So as far as racing in general with tracks on the chop, chopping block, I find it hard to believe that the, the tracks that are staying at this moment are the street courses. You'd think the permanent road courses, those would be a little bit easier to kind of get a race out there, you know, because you don't have to, you know, really clear it with the rest of the city. Obviously, NASCAR is back in Darlington, and, you know, they're taking all their safety precautions and everything. I feel like a permanent race course would be easier to bring racing back to, but if Toronto is a top candidate to slot in there, that surprises me, but it should be a good one.
1: Yeah, Long tried it, but they just couldn't materialize that time period, so they decided to scrap it. Because I think it had they found a way to make it work. There's no guarantees that Toronto could be returning on the calendar at a different date in 2020. So time will ultimately tell. But St. Petersburg, if there's some sort of encouragement for Toronto, we're just think St. Petersburg is now the finale. So yeah. anything could happen with the calendar, but it's already under forged calendar.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's rough, and, you know, I don't know why oh, – I do know why. You know, people pushing out calendars so they can get the fans hyped, you know, kind of get themselves straight in the direction, but we can't finalize a calendar until we have a clearer vision of what's going to happen as far as with COVID-19. You, you see NASCAR, they're, I think they're doing it in a way that is beneficial to them. They've talked to the tracks and – the teams and everybody, they, they send out portions of the schedule. And granted, they did start their season already. I don't know how much that really affects that part, but if they do it in portions, they can control it a little bit more. And I think that's what other sports need to, to kind of do that are in the middle or we're about to start their seasons, is to send it out in portions and make sure that those portions are set. But uh, I, I would love, you know, to be at the IndyCar opener in Texas Motor Speedway. Obviously, I have the ability to if it were to open to spectators but of course it's not and i completely understand that but that would be a fun one to go and view in person
1: oh no doubt considering it's an oval race it's the oval kit and you have tony canada and James hinchcliffe running that one it would be a very ideal season opener but with everything that's happening at this point that season just needs to get going right now honestly as much as I would love to cover that one, I don't care if I'm at a press box. The thing of it is, IndyCar will only allow eight, whereas NASCAR's only allow four, which is a different topic for another time because I feel like this should bring more people to make it more balanced and more feasible to provide coverage because right now, from the media side of things, the independent, the small website, you can't get a share of the pie, whether it's on those pressers or the and vice versa. It's so. Difficult because they rely so much on the mainstream, the well-established people, which I understand. They got deadlines, but if anybody's gonna grow, like myself or whoever, on an NASCAR site in particular, you gotta give those people an opportunity. Something you gotta feed them a bone. And what infuriated me most is when certain people twisted it as I was, I was doing a blame game or making it all. I mean, was. It wasn't about necessarily me, and I know I had to emphasize this again. I was thinking about those other people that I know cannot shoot, whether it's myself or the Danlin Bars or the ASPs of the world. Those that are photographers for race teams—they can't do anything. It's just the the pool of the Getty people. And for those small websites, you're really limited on what you can write or cover and what you can choose. Because when I write my articles and when I'm trying to find a photo, I want to keep it within this season. But there's only been four races before COVID happened. And there's not a lot of content we can I can necessarily use. We're fortunate we ha- we have a contract with a photo company with actual sports photography. But without them, it's a tough time period for those people like myself and those guys. Even there are are established. I don't know how IndyCar is going to do it. I'd imagine they'll have IndyCar photographers that work for IndyCar like a Chris Owens or a Stephen King, something like that, to do it. So I'm more... When I look at the photos, I think, okay, so I don't have to really sweat or worry about the IndyCar Like NASCAR, I have to just pray and hope I can find something within the first four races because they're now the nascar cup series i don't want to use a photo for that as outdated or for a driver in particular they don't drive for the team and or manufacturer anymore like a john hunter nemacek
0: i understand the frustration obviously I, I i feel for you i really do it wasn't nascar's priority to be honest i think they their priority was to get the events going and they'll work everything else in later obviously i think that that's kind of everybody's fo- focus but right as you said it it would take a little bit more work, but it's feasible to get, to get those people back to the track. And maybe that's the first group they should introduce before they lost spectators, you know?
1: I'd imagine they would do it is bring those that are contracted with teams, those who have annual credentials and are within the area they're at. If they're within the area, then they'll probably get priority. I would establish that. But you mm-hmm. got to get those people slowly but surely back in. And also, if local stuff, i like to think they'll be more feasible. But I imagine if it's just participant only, I don't think they'll allow anybody to cover those races other than the track people that work for the racetrack or volunteer. Right. So it'll be interesting how that goes. I know I wonder a little bit of attention, but I know we'll talk about more about COVID-19 as far as the educational side of things because that's another thing that I feel for because I have close ties with the people involved <clears throat> in schools due to yeah. my background with leadership camp. But we go back to back in time, we were still at XPRL and you had your EWRL league as well. EWRL. Let me make that very clear if it then mm-hmm. is if it sounded mudded. But when I was creating all of those posts and contests, I will low key make it obvious that I'm riving or throwing shades of the old promoter. <laughs> Especially how he over promotes stuff. And this is this is the turn this was the turning point for me. I decided, you know. It was the Daytona. We had the XPRL first, and then EWRL after. If I remember, same venue, right?
0: Sometimes there's points where I think his season was already in the middle of the season. I was starting one up, so we get like you know the Poconos together somehow, and we'd get like you know a Kentucky together or something like that. Like they they would work out like that. Not quite sure, but yeah. As far as him, I I didn't understand it. He gave races fake sponsorship. I, for me, for all of my events, they've always been league name, season number, racetrack.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and honestly, it's most more the most simplest way because they're we're obviously not promoted by I don't know, let's say Quaker State or Winston or my college radio station that I KUYFM Moscow in at nine point three. Oh my,
0: that is he did use that in his season finale.
1: The infamous season finale. For context, give explain what happened before we talk about <laughs> the biggest promotional bust of all time at Daytona.
0: Right. Oh, oh, before oh, I know what you're talking about. After that, yeah, we were in the elimination format playoff system, uh, so they entered the race with a, a championship four, like NASCAR does uh, today. On NASCAR 14, we were at this point, point. and there's four drivers. Let's, I'll just call them by their car numbers. We had like 27 car, a nine car at this point was Chase Elliott's Xfinity car on a Cup body. Uh, we had the 24 car. And can't I think like a forty one car or something i 'm just calling my card numbers yeah that 's for simplicity's sake. It was a decently green flag race towards the end. there was a couple of cautions. We went into a, a final overtime attempt. there was contact off the of turn two. I think like the twenty seven to nine and the twenty four all got together the twenty four fro through a temper tantrum. I think, like, the 41 was the one who got out and won the championship. Then the the 11 car got his first ever win, but that got quickly overshadowed by the the tantrum and the fighting and the league looked like it was going to crumble because it was already very unstable as it was. So at that point, I did what I could do. I I convinced all the drivers that I knew that were clean, like, hey, you know, we got a, quote, safe space. Not really, but, like, we have a league over here, you know, looking for clean drivers. I see y'all are about up to here, you can't see it obviously, up to here with this one, so let, let's get out of here, let's go have some fun in, in my league, and I got them over. This in upcoming season, I'm still so, I'm still shocked that this even came to fruition with the league owner somehow getting, I, I guess it was through Facebook for the most part, getting in touch with NASCAR YouTuber Joseph Lombard, who, I mean, people have their opinions on him, but he talked to him and somehow talked him into racing our PS3 leagues, or his league there, and uh, invited him to run the Daytona shootout, which he did run, and it, it was a it was a terrible race. I mean, it, as most league races at Daytona at the beginning of the season are terrible as it is just because it's a plate track and you bring in new people. It's a bad combo, but it happens for the most part. But it was a bad race. Caution after caution after caution. The race ended prematurely. Joseph messaged me, and he's like, yo, what is this? Like, this is... Some immature stuff, and uh, him and I quickly got a, you know, made a bond there, and just trying to keep him in the league for the most part. He qualified for the 500, didn't show up. I didn't blame him. Uh, I think he showed up for like Atlanta, ran like 10 laps and quit, and that was the last time we heard from him in that league. And I was like, you know what? If you, you still want to do something on these nights, I run mine like an hour and a half later. And he said, "Yeah, he so he came. He ran a race with us. And I guess it just wasn't for him, and it kind of fell apart after that. Yeah, I I don't know how we both leagues got Joseph Lumber to come and go straight through both of them." <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was a really weird time period. I was, at, at the time it was like, "Oh, nice. We got maybe we'll get some fairly decent numbers," but just after Daytona I realized this is just a disaster. And he I'd always get dragged into the whole, into the mess when I tried not to and I was it got to yeah. that point years years and years later and I said, "You know what? I just get a step away, not say anything. I stick with you guys." Essentially, I suck with you guys regardless. One thing, you're not going to force me to pick one or the other because I knew it was just a bad, toxic environment. And by that point, I just wanted to go eat pizza. And then I got suckered to other dramas. Here's the thing. If you don't have strength to lead a team, other people are going to find a way to step you down and crumble you into pieces. That's what happened with that. But after the whole Lombard thing, I decided, you know, I tuned into your Daytona race. I was like, you know, I think it was that or Kansas, whichever one of those races it was. My, mine was Kansas, I believe. Yeah, I think I mixed those one of those two tracks up. I know it was a night race for it. Right. But I said, you know, I'm going to defect... Not formally say I defected, but I'm going to defect to go with you guys. And it's been that way since. Understandably, I haven't been as involved as I would have liked. It's just then, as I didn't have the PS3. Once I got going, I had, I pretty much took over another former racer's role of the lag master. <laughs> During those college years, I would make... Ridiculous promotions. Like, I would give everybody characters or gimmick names.
0: Right, but like, it was all in fun, and yeah. it was just for our Facebook group. They weren't going anywhere else, and you know, all, the drivers appreciated it. It was fun. I really appreciated it. it. It's like I felt somebody actually cared, and you know, it made it feel more than just a group of guys getting together on a console at ten thirty 30 on a Friday night doing a race on a video game. It, it was more than that.
1: Even when I shared it on the group page, I was thinking, What was I thinking, especially when I gave the Force India my Force India cards when (laughs) those girls' names based on celebrities and vice versa? It's like I only (laughs) drove three races? Man, I don't have that number on hand, but probably (laughs) I don't I I only drove three races. I know one of them, Nico Rosberg, the AI of Nico Rosberg, kept wrecking me and I got so (laughs) what was I running? Top I was probably in decent spot in point space. Let me make this clear, people. And he'll back back me up on this one. When it comes to racing games, I'm among the worst. But I've accepted that. All I just hope is just finish, keep the car in one piece, not spin it, and at least find a way to be somewhat competent. Like, the last race I won, I had no idea how I got purple in a sector, much less (laughs) pass a car under green literally <laughs> and finished on the leap lap. I don't know how Here. I pulled that off.
0: Uh, I again, my league it, it, it's still a console racing league. There's no like actual prize money up for grabs. It's all just for fun. Uh, I, I personally just I just want everybody to have a good time. You know, obviously like stuff will happen, you know, people will get mad about stuff and that that happens cuz you know they take it seriously and I appreciate that not taking it as a joke. Uh at the same time, it, it's just for fun. I I don't want people to sweat it too much.
1: Yeah, good old XpRL. Oh, boy. There were times at college that I would create silly graphics just for fun. But once EWRL finally got rolling, I was like, no, I, I, I'm loyal to that gaming brand. The league brand. And then from there, we would come a long way with essentially as far as just being gaming friends to just genuinely one of my better friends out there in my life. While wow. You're going to hear more about him. Let's talk about IndyCar a tad bit more. It feels great to have IndyCar back. That is for sure. It brought some liveliness into my life again. The fact I got more racing stuff to cover. And Honestly, the IndyCar is kind of like the fun side of things to do when it comes to photography and writing. I feel like I'm more emotionally invested NASCAR-wise every now and then. But I think with now IndyCar back, I feel like I'll have the emotional investment that I much needed on the NASCAR side to care and be focused and determined to do the task hopefully fingers crossed by July will get some fans back on the we'll track hopefully on Simons comes back so now speaking of Texas motors we are going to talk about that in our next segment quite a bit where Emerson met Lee Diffie yes Lee Diffie from NBC and also the race winner of this year Scott Dixon so let's take it back to the interview how I did well with Koda It even like Koda suited me. And like a track like Suzuka, I just have a hard time and the most difficult thing for me is forcing myself to go to the grass to let cars go by because when it's a very narrow area I'm not 100% sure what lane they're going because I don't really pay attention to their lines as much as if I see them I just have to move to a tarmac area or just go to the grass.
0: Right. Suzuka is a very tough track and like, as it is on pretty much any racing game, DSs catch a lot of people yeah. out, and long sweeping corners can catch people out. It's a tough track, and it's not it's not that wide as you alluded to. Yeah. But, like, again, just don't sweat it. Nobody's, oh. like, taking it seriously, you know? It's not for money
1: or anything. No, I'm not sweating. Up. So, on that note, as we mentioned briefly, we finally met at Texas last year in June for the IndyCar slash Truck Series race. Because oh, yeah. And I wanted to ask the question just the because you, obviously you, Mel, one of the, honestly, in my eye, one of the top play-by-play guys in the world, oh, not just in my, racing, but in sports. My idol. <laughs> just just tell us that tale, just meeting your idol and hero from that side. Yeah, so
0: if people know who I am, I've broadcasted and commentated racing on my YouTube channel since like 2014, where I'd sit in my room by myself, watch NR AIs go around a track, and I'd shout as a commentator on them and then I started commentating league races and uh, other things but pretty much in 2014 I, I would just be practicing commentary and you know through through that yeah obviously if I was able to do that I've watched a lot of racing and people like Rick Allen and Alan Bestwick have always been uh great like uh, role models for me like to kind of model after Mike Joy as well my all-time favorite, especially watching from the F1 races that used to be on NBC, Lee Diffie, man, that is that that is an amazing play-by-play commentator. I I tweeted at him, not expecting a response. I was like, hey, I know you know IndyCar is going to be at Texas this weekend. You're obviously the lead commentator. Is there any chance I get get to meet you? And he replied back, yeah, sure. I'm like, okay, cool. Like he recognized me. I'm like, oh wait. I just realized there's no details, no time, no date, no location. How is that going to happen? So I sent him another tweet, and he was able to reply. He said he's going to be at so-and-so elevator at, like, what, like 545 or whatever. And so I met him. I was there. I I was I was starstruck. I had my little sister with me as well. I was there. I, I met him, took a picture with him, and ha- got a, a Sunoco hat signed, made sure it wasn't the driver's hat.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember you had to sign a Sunoco and I, and that's the thing, because I don't know if and when and ever that time comes that I meet a play-by-play commentator, whether it's a Lee or an Allen or a Rick or whoever it might be. As much as I've been involved then and there with those on assignments, I've yet to make time out of my own to talk with somebody that has been involved for that many years. And I don't know. I think part of it's more that I'm too focused on what I want to get accomplished, or more or less just feel like am I really there? As far as experiencing years before I introduce myself and with certain people, I can't be that hesitant. I think that's just part of the introvert side of me that I still need to literally work on. I don't know if I'm gonna get better or get my name out there, so maybe somewhere down the line they realize what I'm able to do. Which unfortunately, on one end, they're not seeing it yet. Other than just the Todd Gilliland thing for like <laughs> a cup of coffee.
0: Yeah. Uh, obviously, I I did it as a fan and like uh, truly he's my idol and like he's definitely people or somebody that I look to when I commentate. If, if you watch my F1 broadcasts, I I say it's time to bring the action, uh, just as he does. It, it, I mean, he's, I mean he's amazing. Um, but yeah, in your case, I I would definitely do it when you have a have more to your resume and where you're a recognizable name to a certain extent and maybe you can expand upon yourself by connecting with one of the broadcasters or somebody else or something in that
1: realm. That I totally get that's why I haven't taken that time yet because I feel like I'm not quite there. I don't want to necessarily bother them. Or it's more or less if I see them, see if they're not busy... Whereas most of what I'm trying to do photos, I'm more or less focused on finding, capturing stuff that looks intriguing. My mind, when I'm at the track, changes so much that I don't know what I'm thinking then or how am I going to think in five minutes time. But yeah... The two times that we met at Texas, oh, they were an absolute pleasure that we had the time to chat for a few minutes. Yeah, that,
0: that was really my main goal was there. Well, one, to meet you, and two, just to enjoy the event. Especially in June, I had a, a garage, or not a garage, I had a pit pass. It was surreal. As you alluded to a little bit earlier, that when you get to the track, you're a whole different person. Yeah, I I, I went to Texas Motor Speedway once before, or twice before, or the t- June 2019, this past season. One for a cup race in 2015, the truck race in 2018. I've never been in the infield, and when I got a pit pass, at, I wasn't even 18 yet. But on the website, it says you have to be 18 or older. I got the pit pass; they didn't even check my age. I'm like, cool. I was in. <laughs> I was 17, and I had I had the beard going. So I mean, no questioning. But <laughs> yeah. I, I got I got into the infield, and I mean, it was surreal. And just drivers left and right, and pit crew members. It, it, it was amazing. I got a picture of almost every truck driver after qualifying. And then I met a, like 11 IndyCar drivers uh, at a, one of those meet-and-greet things and was able to chat with Scott Dixon, who is my personal favorite IndyCar driver.
1: And not only you met one of your favorite racing drivers, but you also met one of your idols. That definitely, I match is one of those days at night you never forget. And for yeah. me, myself, I was thinking, before winning, it's like first race back. Sure, Rudy Fugel had a lot to do with that one, and with strategy and all, and, and several of the drivers that were doing really well struggled or had problems. But just hey, a... but somebody's got to drive the truck. <laughs> yeah. But at the very least, it was a good good little story that Biffle came back and won. Considering how the races that I have went, they've had some interesting moments. It's just about every one of them, whether it's that one or a Deegan's Meridian win. There's so much stuff going on that I would imagine it's just never going to stop. There's always going to be something that will stick out by far. One of the things that, outside of racing, that has stood out for me is your passion and involvement in theater. And why... Oh. And why I bring the I'm mentioning this and why yeah. it stands out, because it reminds me of a time in high school where yearbook was my heart and soul with leadership as well. Those were my heart and souls. I poured so much hours upon hours of dedication just to see how the entity, the group grows. And that's what I thrived on. So tell us about how that started, what got you passionate about it and just how that's been for you throughout your high school career, especially senior year.
0: Yeah, so how it started, this this is funny. Going into middle school here in Houston, you have to, if you want to go to a decent middle school, you have to apply and all. So I applied, I uh, got accepted and all. When I applied, I signed up for band at first. I'm like, and I got there first day, I'm like, you know, learning how to play an instrument, ooh, that that sounds stressful. And the theater teacher came in, uh, Mr. Tal Gribbins, he came in, and he's like, does anybody here want to move to tech theater I stood right up, and I went with them. I joined, I went to my dean, got the schedule changed and everything. I was there, and, you know, they needed to help with their first show in October. Moving set pieces, I was pretty big then, and I was pretty good at lifting things, so that that was pretty much how I started. I was there, you like a crush on somebody, and it kind of made me stay with it. But then seventh grade, I auditioned for my first show, and I I got a role. It was James at the Giant Peach, and I got the role of the Earthworm. That role was so much fun. I was like, you know, this is this is for me. This is a blast. I had to stay. I uh, went through my eighth grade year. My uh, my teacher had my theater teacher had left and and came a new teacher. My eighth grade year, she pushed me to audition for my high school theater production program. I'm like, you know what? Oh, I got nothing else to do or I got nothing else to lose. So I did put in a lot of work for it. Obviously, just being in front of anybody you don't know. Is nerve wracking whether you've been on stage a few times. This one I've been on stage three times going into high school. So I went, I auditioned uh, in front of two teachers I never heard anything about before. Mm -hmm. Somehow made it into the production company. My freshman year I was in ensemble roles, just background characters for my freshman year because I mean, I guess that's what freshmen do for the most part. I auditioned for varsity that year because I talked I ended up talking with some of the seniors throughout my two ensemble roles my freshman year and they're like yeah varsity so much fun this and that and I'm like you know what I I want to I want to do that or no, forgot uh, a fact so my freshman year I had the opportunity to work with one of my my friends now uh, she was a senior she was a junior at this point uh but her name was Emily in our April show we have juniors and seniors write shows and they put them their are 10 minute shows and they put them on for an audience And she chose me as someone to help her out. And obviously we talked a bit as I was like her assistant director sort of role. She told me that she made varsity her sophomore. I'm like, you know what? I can do that too. So I auditioned. And noting like in theater that uh, there's traditionally not too many guys in theater, I felt that had a huge help with me going into varsity. That being said, like I made it to varsity, did my first audition my sophomore year in varsity. I got the lead role in our Christmas show. That was the year Hurricane Harvey hit, so our October show got pushed back to January. So our first show of the year was our Christmas show. I auditioned, and the lead role was a radio show host in the 1940s, known as Clifton Fettington. I got that role, and it was stressful. No, I, I don't think I ever memorized every single one of my lines in that show, but it it was fun. The character was fun. I I went into my inner broadcasting self as a radio show host. We've done musicals from then on. Uh, I've learned how to stage manage from one of my my friends who she's amazing at doing that. Pretty much stage managing for a, a play is you're pretty much in charge of everything that the director isn't in charge of. And you pretty much have to do anything if anyone's ever missing. Like you always, you would ha- you be the one to fill in for any role that doesn't have an understudy ready, or you have to fill in for anybody who like misses. Like if the light person doesn't show up, you have to do lights this or that. Stage manager's in charge of everything and has to know everything. So I learned how to do that sophomore year. My junior year, I became a stage manager and pretty much I took control of a show. My junior year and that that was stressful as well, but uh. Man, I was proud of it. Later that year, we did a. Uh, this was our third my what my third musical in high school. We did Chicago. I got the role of Amos Hart, Mr. Cellophane. That song, I related to it so hard. I uh, <laughs> I went out there and I I sang my heart out because I <laughs> at that point I was a little depressed and that song like really <laughs> it really felt felt me. I really enjoyed that role. Yeah, my senior year, I joined playwriting, so I wrote a show myself, a 10-minute show, and I had that casted, uh, directed it, and produced it and everything, and put it on in front of an audience in January. That's one of my great accomplishments. It's a, it's a dramatic show. It's uh, It was called Dysfunction, and it was about a deteriorate, deteriorating father-son relationship. I mean, the audience ate it up. I've done two shows this year my senior year as an actor. We go to competition, so how theater competition works is it's kind of like judges you, you put on your shows for judges and you're going against other schools and we had our zone round which is before district are like because Houston's so big there's so many schools that are competing so we have zones first and we made it through our zone round great great remarks from our uh our critique uh, we felt very confident that we could even make it to state with our play it was such a good show and uh, my theater teacher he's retiring this year Mr. Uh, Anthony Wallen, he's amazing. He's the one who's kind of helped. He's been my teacher all four years, but even from the freshman class to now in varsity. He's been my teacher all four years. He's pretty much been the number one reason I've stayed in theater. He's taught for, what, 35 years now. 30 of them years were for theater, and he announced in January that he was retiring. And So I think all the actors he casted in the competition show that we're doing this year or that we did this year we all felt that energy. We all did absolutely everything we could to make that show as best as we could, and it was great. Two days before our district competition, uh, our district shut down for the COVID-19 situation and never opened back up. My senior show, I never got to take, got to take a, a senior bow on stage for my final time. My final time on stage was in my auditorium stage in front of a, a small audience that we were doing kind of like a a mini like, preview of our show before we went to competition with it. Never really got to take a senior bow because I forgot to bow had, in that show. had ran off stage and then they were bowing as uh, the show was over. I didn't get that memo, so I was still off stage. I didn't really get to take a, a quality bow my senior year. It, it, it was a, a big deal. We were all kind of looking forward to our senior show. It's going to be this show. It's a play within a play. And in that play within the play, everything goes wrong we were all pumped for it. It was going to be a blast. It was not going to be my theater teacher's final, final show. We were going to do it four times. It was we we were all hyped for it
1: and it just fell apart. We're going to transition to now a key part, the most important part of our discussion was which really gets pretty deep what he had to go through the struggles and also just the courage and motivation to be dedicated to one particular subject matter which was Caesar much like I was with yearbook and leadership over the years in my days in high school when he was discussing about a certain thing they wanted to do that was a couple weeks ago and I imagine hopefully it was done a couple weeks ago following the recording that we had so with that being said let's jump back to the interview <laughs> We never went back
0: to school after March 12th. Our competition was going to be March 14th for district level and just kind of put the red flag on my senior year. As far as school went, I'm in health field right now trying to go to pharmacy. My pharmacy class has pretty much been, like, my only ever priority at this point. I've done, like, AP exams and all to try to get college credit as I want to go to college, obviously, (laughs) to go become a pharmacist. But, uh, yeah, just senior year because of... In 2020, it gets cut 20% short, I guess.
1: Before we go on to the pharmacy talk, have you thought of this idea, maybe get people to record some final words as a thank you? Sure. It may be a tad bit difficult. You're not going to get everybody involved, but I think it will be right. something nice to get people together, to, especially the seniors, especially you being around mm. those four years, to give a special thanks and maybe do a, a bow or something as a parting gift because I imagine it must be tough on him that he doesn't get to spend the time. Final show. Yeah, the, not just the final show, of some parting words to his group of seniors, those who have been here for four years, or just the ones who are around in general. And that's one of the things that I feel for, From the staff, because as I mentioned already, I'm not involved in education. I would love to still somehow be in it. Sure, it's not happening now. Even if I applied a job from the education field and I didn't get the gig, it is what it is. But the people that I'm involved with, I think to myself, like, those people. And I talked about in the very first episode. Those who don't have that opportunity to say farewell or get together or just say thank you or a parting words to their staff members, those who have influenced you. Have you thought of that idea or has that been considered within the group of the theater?
0: Yeah. So I'm actually one of the uh, theater officers. Uh, I guess I, I mean, I've done everything. Uh, We actually have a point system in theater where we use it to tell how many hours of work we've put into every point is 10 hours. I have 218 and a half points, which means I put in what, 2100 hours into theater, all my four years of high school. I'm one of the, uh, the officer members and we've uh, we've been working on a few things we usually do a banquet every year uh, in a person obviously this year we're gonna do that uh, like as a youtube premiere video that uh, we we're having like a little segment there for a theater teacher and everything and the new theater teacher coming in has their their segment and everything we're giving out like little awards everyone to try to kind of like keep the mood light we're actually gonna try to meet up all in our cars we're gonna do like a little car procession by our uh, retiring theater teacher's house, kind of like a, you know, a final goodbye and thank you and kind of way. Yeah, it's we we've been trying. We we tried hard to even somehow some way get like some kind of final senior kind of send off. But uh, I guess the best we're gonna have. We uh, well, as seniors, we're actually gonna have one of our junior officers. Uh, she she's amazing. She's working really hard on making like a little quote, senior magazines. So all of the seniors kind of like write a page bio about their time in theater, pretty much is kind of what I gave <laughs> a couple minutes ago, just how my four years of theater went, and I wrote my thanks to one of my close students, the uh, assistant director, and my retiring theater teacher, I wrote like a paragraph each, and that's all going to a senior magazine, and he, him being, it's his final year as well, he's going to write him, himself a bio as well. To go in that magazine, he has again his own little segment in a uh, in our little banquet premiere video. We're doing we're we're doing a lot uh, again. Us Fader kids, we we're great friends. Uh, most of us have been together all four years. We we really care for each other, and it's gonna be tough. That
1: last time we even see each other is in a a rehearsal on March twelfth. <laughs> I know Central Valley has done something like that with the vehicles and all. That's why I wanted to point that out if that's been considered, which I'm totally happy that they're, you guys already yeah. thought about this because it's just, it's just for him, I feel like a parting gift at some capacity whether it's just going by the teacher's house and whatnot. It's a good way to let them know that they care or we thank you and all of that under these difficult time periods. It's just one of those things where you got to giving back and a lot of people have been giving back. From the education side of things. And when I came up with this show, I wanted to make it not solely on racing. Sure, it's going to be a main core subject matter because that's just how I was born and racing. That's my main passion. But I have other passions as well. Sometimes I ponder myself thinking had I thought about this back in high school and college, have I gave a proper thank to the people that have impacted me and rather than just dwell over a father blabbering about the yearbook being wrong or they're missing a senior page. We literally had to print out extra to include her. And the thing is, the individual that didn't have her senior page on the yearbook itself in the hard copy, she was just happy that they were printing out a page for her. The family side of things, they were literally mad and I took it very, very personally because I was the editor-in-chief. But it's one of those things that I look back, I'm thinking, maybe I should have just back off a bit and just embraced the moment. And that's the thing that I've never fully done in my academic career. That I never fully embrace the moment the only time i kind of ever did was my last radio show when i was doing it for 24 hours boy maybe that would be a good topic to talk about sometime in this show (laughs) that was my i remember that show uh, I listened to at least eighteen hours of it. I kind of wish I recorded the whole twenty four hours, but I'm not sure how much space it was going to eat up or how long.
0: Ooh, that would have been a lot of space.
1: <laughs> yeah, with Aud- Audacity, it was probably going to take like about good three hours, and it was probably not the best idea to do it because I had to literally go home hours after. So I was not going to let it crash or lose data. So I just said, you know, I'll just keep the last two out. That was an emotional shipwreck on that one at the very end. I'm trying to hang in there because I knew that chapter was over
0: yeah i in in fader i never i mean you you pay attention to the news obviously and here in Houston like there's news every day uh, you know crime and weather and this and that it, it's it's crazy uh, you Houston and it's flooding man i don't even know what to even listen for anymore but obviously the virus was was huge in the news and you know we we all knew it was you know inevitable but we all thought like nobody was really thinking you know It's going to be the last day. Nobody ever thought of that. Or if we did, you know, okay, well, two weeks off and then we'll be back. You know, not a big deal. Yeah. One month off and we'll finish out the year together. Yeah. And then the year just ended. And now we're telling each other goodbye on FaceTime and Zoom and Microsoft Teams. And it's terrible. I really. One, I wish I could have gotten my bow back, <laughs> uh, the one that I did miss anyway. But two, I, I wish I couldn't – I I wish uh, my final time on stage, I knew it would have been – I would have enjoyed it more. I was obviously just stressed to make it a perfect run because we, we were in competition mode. We wanted the show to be perfect and everything. Uh, I just wish I enjoyed it more. And I did. I, I did enjoy it. But I wish I went in with like a, a clearer mindset and yeah. – no, this is going to be my final time walking through this hallway. I still have costume pieces still left at the school, so I guess I still have to walk through that hallway sometime. But, <laughs> yeah, I I wish I could have, you know, enjoyed the moment.
1: Honestly, if that is still possible to get some of your stuff back and all – I'd say if it does happen, just reflect. My editor chief Joey Barnes was telling me it's just to reflect every now and just enjoy the moment as best as possible. And that's the thing that I struggled the most. And I think I'd imagine a lot of people are struggling because it's one of those it's with this thing happening, does that sound like a broken record, that's right. It's one of those deals where you gotta embrace it because you never know when that's gonna end. When things are gonna be over. And more than ever a lot of people are facing that there were people wish they would have enjoyed what they had at the moment of time, not when it was unexpectedly over.
0: Yeah, those quotes that always say "live today to its fullest" because you'll never know if you get tomorrow. That quote looms large right now. For only not only ourselves, but everybody it, across the world is, is feeling that uh, it's just wild.
1: Before we transition to the next topic. I'll explain it to you listeners. Here's a one German reporter known as Wolfgang. He's synonymous with the two questions. So I got two questions regarding. One, what is the best advice your professor gave you? And kind of <sighs> the mindset as a creator when you're trying to put the pieces together to make sure the show goes smoothly. Specific advice that he gave me.
0: Uh, I really got put on a spot there. I have to think a little bit. But uh I think... Well... So maybe not specific advice, but more of a moment is uh, I tend to easily get, you know, a little heated. And I you know, have ha- had a little breakdown one of the show nights that everything was kind of falling apart. And even though he was frustrated as well because, you know, the show was not going well. I think this is what the, the show I stage managed January of my junior year. It was my personal show. or Like, I was the main stage manager for that show, so everything had to go through me for that show. And it was my responsibility as much as it it was his. So I was just, I was just having it in in the hallway backstage and he's like, Hey, you okay? And he's like, take it easy. You know, gave me a hug and all these Just the the same, like, uh, you know, the stereotypical stuff, everything's going to be okay. We'll we'll get through it. This and that. But he would always be able to, most of the times I, I, I'm again, very passionate about theater, put in over 2100 hours in my four years, but uh, I would get very heated, and he would always be there for me, always there saying, "You okay?" You know, he, even when I didn't want to talk about it, he he was there. He noticed. He always gave me a hug and everything, and it was just always kind of just so refreshing to know that somebody does care. Uh, I know your your question was more on advice, but kind of when he would do that and just kind of reassure me that you know everything was okay. It, I truly would go in with that mindset, uh, right into the next scene or whatever it may be, and uh, the rest of that night. I mean, that night was that the night some uh, that that show in, in itself was terrible. The set fell apart on opening night. We run three nights now. The set fell apart on opening night. The second night, one of the set pieces fell and almost decapitated the kid, almost literally. And the closing night, one of our our lead actor went to the hospital, in a in a fight scene. He got a little too close and the other actor swung in uh, had, he had like a cane or whatever in this fight scene he swung in the, it actually uh, scraped his head he had to go get stitches and everything um, it was <laughs> that show was all over the place but like even then I <sighs> something as stressful as that you look back at it and like yeah it wasn't too bad I kind of saw it long enough I still couldn't find any advice <laughs> but uh, he's Giving me just quality advice, especially when I was writing my show this year, just how I can make it better. Because as far as I go, my I'm I feel like I'm pretty good at, you know, being out there and being you know, energetic and fun and everything. But I'm not. I don't feel myself as creative. And he really helped tapped into my like creative side, be able to actually write a whole ten minute show with a decent plot and everything. And he like didn't really plant an idea seed into my head he you know led me in different methods to try to help me develop that idea i guess that's what i remember most because if it wasn't for that i wouldn't have written a a show that i could put up in front of an audience that i you know would have wouldn't be proud of
1: yeah and don't worry about it i think that what you said there is an excellent response because I've had my moments where I'm very heated. I'm not necessarily the easiest person to deal with when I'm in the heat in the moment. But I would get frustrated. And, and, and when I look back at my college, I know I was not easy to deal with with the newspapers. Or they just do not know me well enough why I'm thinking this way. There's some that I clash, But similar to your point, my college advisor from the newspaper, the Argonaut, named TJ... Pretty much was the, kind of like the voice of reason. he'll give me the thing. I would vent to him. But then I would tell him, because I remember one time, us, all of us, the newspaper, all of our editors, 15 of us, from different sections and all of that, I was the video editor. Boy, today I literally revive that program, if you ask me? He <sighs> said, basically, to pretty much do him a favor, to stop... Because we we tend to... a lot. I would... I would... I would and complain, or get frustrated with my sports editor. There was a lot of turmoil. We didn't necessarily got along, per se... But after the meeting, I said, I thought to myself, if nobody is going to step out to the plane and admit that, okay, sure, I'm not the main reason, but I'll t- take accountable at some part of the b- thing. So I decided, you know, I told him that. I said, you know, if nobody's going to say it, at least I'll roll up to it. Because honestly, I only had a, about a couple weeks left before I had to graduate. Basically, after he said that, I said, you know, I agree with you. I don't blame how you feel. We still talk to each other to this day. And I still seek out some advice or he'll give me some advice because it helped. And honestly, it honestly, helped that he was a NASCAR guy, a music guy, and a wrestling guy as well. So that certainly helped. And yes, now speaking of wrestling, a.k.a. in your words, say it. <laughs> the three-hour puppet show. My I, goodness. All of us have that moment. Whether people want to admit it or not. If you owe up to it and know those frustrations, it gets you to reflect and it makes you grow better. And that's the thing that stands out from you. Knowing that you're going to college and all, you want to pursue an expanded education. You're very mature for your age, no doubt about it. Because some people... Even my age or a little bit older, they still act a little bit bratty or child. But for you, you seem like you have a, You understand some of the flaws, but you also understand your pros and all of that.
0: Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think uh, most of that's just alluded to that, uh, and don't get sad when I say this. I think I, I went through most of my years in school, but pretty much up until like my final two years in high school, Without like a like true like friends or friend group to lean on, maybe I, I had one in middle school and one that went from middle school to high school with me. But other than that, I was pretty independent. I, I you know, just kind of was on my own for most of the part. Uh, and then outside of school, I was pretty independent growing up. Like both well, my parents are here, and then nothing's like wrong with their relationship or anything. But I would just be doing a lot of stuff on my own. It was like, what, like, nine or eight, eight or nine by the time I was just staying at home by myself. Like, I would just... And that's pretty much when I started, like, YouTube videos. And I think gaming as well, just kind of getting... My first, like, Call of Duty was, like, Modern Warfare 2. And that was the utmost, like, trash-talking Call of Duty. And just hearing stuff on there, not nothing, like, really, like, affects me. i have just kind of, like... All of that rolled into one. I'm just kind of, like... I've, I've seen it all. I, I kind of... <laughs> not I haven't seen it all. Yeah, but in my that, mind...
1: But <laughs> something else happens and it's like, yep, I thought i have seen it all. We've seen it all. It's always going to happen that way. No matter what. You feel like you've seen it all, then something else happens. No doubt. Like, even th- this past year alone, it's like, yep, I've seen everything. Then, look at the Bush Clash. Now it's like, okay, now I've seen everything. And then what happened with then other stuff and what we're dealing with right now... And this whole, whole world on society, it's like, it constantly changes. It's one of those reused phrases, but with reason, but only to something else to happen And then you got to say it again.
0: I, I just think just going through, maybe not like a lot, like dramatically or anything, but just going through a lot in, in general, just kind of like puts you like in a mindset, like, hey, you know, stuff's going to happen. You just, you, you kind of learn a lot as well. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was super immature in middle school. I mean, but you can't really fault somebody we in middle school as well, as well. But pretty much Work like we from all, seventh grade, oh, seventh grade on, I kind of was like in this mindset, like you know, just kind of like you know, kind of take nothing, or, like take no no crap or anything. Just kind of like be my own person. Not really worry about stuff too much. And there's still moments, you know, I, I try to have like words not affect me, but like. It's, it, it, once in a while, you always get hurt by a comment online or whatever. It, it'll happen. But like just going with that mentality, pretty much from seventh grade on, I, I felt
1: like I've been consistent with that it, as far as maturity level. The pharmacy. You're going to college. It's kind of like titles. Where are you heading? How, what led to your passion be involved in that field?
0: So, yeah, pharmacy. My mom has been a pharmacy technician for like 20 years. And I'm like, hey, you know, that's pretty cool, the CVS and stuff. Yeah, (laughs) fun, medicine. But going into health field my freshman year where we have, like, classes in high school that are dedicated to health and health science. And taking those classes all four years in high school, I've gotten, like, a deeper understanding of everything. And now specifically my senior year, taking a pharmacy class. So learning about the drugs and, like, what they do to the body and then, like, Outside of drugs, the pharmacy operations and how, like, what goes from manufacturing to the pharmacy to dispensing and this and that, just kind of becoming in that has kind of been more intriguing to me. As far as personally why I want to follow it, it it's a decent career. You know, a pharmacy itself is, is always going to have like job openings because you know people need their medicine. It's a job with that requires you know great mental math and uh, a good knowledge of chemistry, which we're Two of my favorite subjects in school, I've always loved math. Until my senior year, I took calculus, and woof, it was tough at the beginning. I, I dropped calculus in September. But uh, chemistry, I got straight A's in. I absolutely love chemistry, and math is – I'm always very good at mental math. So those two combined, being a huge part of pharmacy, I think is uh, – along with it being a, a job that has an abundance of opportunity – in it i think it's just an all-around good combination it's not my dream my dream is obviously to go into broadcasting but you know it, it it's a job that i can you know be satisfactory with
1: and ultimately that's what matters if you can find some sort of satisfaction of what you do sure it may not be necessarily the bigger scope of things but if you find something to fall back on then it's totally worthwhile like you said yeah, uh, so I've I've applied uh, to a couple colleges.
0: My dream school would definitely be like Texas Tech University, the same school that Patrick Mahomes went to. Realistically, I went uh, I applied there and I did get accepted, but money was one of the deciding factors that it's not going to be feasible, easily feasible at least. It probably would be, you know, going into taking out student loans and doesn't that it would be? But I'm trying to avoid that as much to kind of make life simpler post-education. Uh, post so a more affordable option that's here in Houston, Texas Southern University has a great pharmacy program. It's not University of Houston, uh, which has an even better pharmacy program. I didn't necessarily apply there just for the simplicity's sake. I went with Texas Southern, a uh, good pharmacy program. And, and the school that is just known for just being very helpful to, to students who need help uh, when it comes to financially and education-wise. So I feel like it'd be a, a great fit for me. As far as like financial situation with a, a decent pharmacy program that has a lot of opportunity in it here in in the city. Yeah, I think just all those
1: factors combined,
0: then being finances being the number one factor in Texas Southern was just looking good.
1: Whatever your heart and mind goes with, then you'll certainly know. And that's what I tend to tell certain people, just go where you feel like best fits for you, where your heart leads to. And I certainly wish you the best of luck when it comes to that decision making, because I think you'll do excellent. I know you've done excellent, from afar I've seen it, where the cedar and just a racing league. This is what Behind the Exploratory Lenses is going to be all about, as I mentioned it time and time again. So... The last subject you're going to hear primarily is about music. Yes, because of course, we got to talk about music somehow, you know what I mean. We talk about Metallica, we talked about ACBC, and also the big concert with Poison, Motley Crue, and Joan and Chad, which unfortunately, a couple days after we recorded it, it's been confirmed that the tour has been postponed to the summer of 2021, where... You can either get refunds or keep your ticket stub if you still want to go in 2021 and fortunately they're going to honor it and hopefully it doesn't fall on a racing weekend. That's all I can hope for. So I'm keeping my ticket stub. Poison and Motley Crew is pretty much the dream concept that I've always wanted back in middle school and the fact that it's still going to happen brings some anticipation for 2021. So with that being said, let's jump into the final segment of my interview with Emerson Arden. So, before we close off, let's briefly talk about music for a little bit. Ah, uh, yes, sir. I know one band a couple years ago, we talked about every now and then. It involves a good old group from California. You might have heard of it. I think they've had a couple of albums that did well. They talked about the Sandman. They talked about St. Anger and all that. It's obviously Metallica. You guys have probably heard a So Just Baby. Yeah, I know one of my favorite shows that I ever went was when I was working the the concert in Seattle back in 2017. You went to one at Houston. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong, that was your first ever concert you've been to?
0: Yeah, I've, I've only been to one concert. Uh, I actually wanted to go to uh, the, the band's concert this year. All right, I forget what tour it was called. But this year I wanted to go to the, like, the Joan Jett, Poison, Def Leopard. uh what whichever I've ever been. Motley Crue, Motley Crue, yeah, yep. Motley Crue tour that one. I really wanted to go to that one, and it's hasn't been canceled. It, we'll see how that goes. Yeah,
1: that, that I- that's
0: definitely one on the hit
1: list. Yeah, myself included. I already had my ticket stuff. It's still, I think it's still in my desk. I still have it with me. But yeah, I was like, that was my middle school dreams just to see a Poison and or a Motley Crue concert. I was like, well, I'm not missing it. Sure, I'm gonna be miles away, but hey, major. It's in September. So, I hope it still continues, but we'll see. Whatever It's just the music scene, especially the concerts. that's as bigger of an unknown compared to sports. We talk about sports being an issue. It's the concerts that may take even longer. There's a massive unknown future for those concerts and large gatherings. That may take even longer. What's going to be a shame... If that tour does not happen at all, I'll consider a dream bill when you have all those metal classic rock acts out there. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, you went to the Metallica concert. How was that, especially being your first concert?
0: So uh, I'll just double down on it. It was my first concert, uh, Sunday, June 11th, 2017. What, What made this even better was Volbeat, which is a lesser known band, but they opened for Metallica. In between Volbeat and Metallica came out Avenged Sevenfold, and I, I, I don't know many of their songs at this point in my life, but I did know of them. I knew at least Shepherd of Fire. That was an amazing song. Just seeing Avenged Sevenfold and Metallica for the price of one ticket was amazing. What I also realized is where I was sitting was just a few feet away from the exact same end zone that uh, New England won that Super Bowl Fifty One in.
1: You had it on and you blew it!
0: That was just also just a, an amazing note that I learned after after the fact. But yeah, Metallica, seeing them live, seeing a little far back as, you know, they are relatively midfield compared to, I, I obviously I just said I was sitting a few feet from the end zone, so at least a, a, a good chunk of distance between that, but still just seeing uh, the amazing displays they had, in a, it being my first concert I was like fit. 14 here getting to hear james hetfield live was insane and uh lars on the drum just amazing other than using several ad- adjectives over and over again to describe the concert it was an amazing experience so many different factors attributing to it being able to hear and see james hetfield in person well, it was probably the number one thing
1: as soon as hardwired to self-destruct kicked in i was like yep now i get it because i listened to metallica songs for several years Obviously, the the more notable ones. But after that concert, that's when I expanded my boundaries and listened to a lot of their songs. And it was like, oh yeah, yep, they rose into one of my top bands of all time. And like, I would go play whatever songs on my mind, and and it flows. And and during this pandemic, there's so many songs that just fits the time period. My good, like when the NBA shut down, seeking sanitarium. That was the first song I was thinking of. Like, that's the first song I was thinking. Like, every now and then I'll play that as the first song on the way to my job because I was thinking, this is that time period lyrically. Because sometimes, lyrically, when I think of songs, I either get it or completely miss the mark. (laughs) And that's how I am. But aside from Metallica, what other musics do you enjoy? Because I mentioned this on multiple occasions now that I may be a metal guy, I may be a classic rock guy, but I listen to my indie pop stuff and chick bands every now and then.
0: Oh man. What, do I, what else do I listen to? Well, if you could see my Spotify library, it, there's no sense of direction there. Well, first I want to say a uh, band I, I have to see live before it, uh, uh, it might already be unfortunately too late, but I, uh, I just really, 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 really want to see ACDC live. Uh, but it it's not looking good.
1: Yeah. It, like I mentioned, it's just such a big unknown with the music, especially the live music scene where I thoroughly enjoyed the C. C Ward concert, the last one that I went. Now, with that big unknown, considering the time period that I saw it and everything that's happened a few weeks after the February show, Mm-hmm. It's one of those deals where, like, glad I enjoyed it for what it's totally worth, because now I look back at February, it's like, different time period with society. It was just much simpler. And that's the thing. My age, I was relatively young through nine eleven. I was almost seven years old when it happened. I and, wasn't even born. <laughs> yeah. The, this is, for a lot of people, and I imagine from you guys, this is the closest thing to it is how, how the landscape of society has impacted everyone. Except for this one is worldwide the covid nine eleven, 11 is mostly in america and i imagine some parts of the world was heavily affected because it's the way living has never been the same ever again and over time i've learned that mindset and now when this thing hopefully ends and someday hopefully the sooner the better but thoroughly well done in research so we can get back to our normal lives i it's going to be an interesting first couple of months when everything is back to where it was, how everything's going to be viewed. Even taking all that aspect out of the equation, just
0: ACDC has been falling apart at the seams with the deaths and the illness across band members and everything. It is, it's been tough. I love, love ACDC. Uh, I, I loved when Bon Scott, or the songs that Bon Scott did, and obviously now Brian Johnson is an amazing singer. It was insane that Axel Rose had to come in for their most recent tour. Uh, that being said, so much has happened. I, I don't know if there's ever going to be another ACDC concert. It, it's going to be tough. But outside of ACDC, my first ever favorite song was from, an, like, a an NASCAR Racing 2003 season YouTube video. It's called Paralyzed a Finger 11. And that's pretty much what started, what kick-started my uh, my music taste from there. After that, it was obviously ACDC, Metallica, and Nirvana. They're not as, like, as hard – but you you attribute to Nirvana a lot, being that they were like a Seattle grunge band type. Although they were, what, Kurt Cobain was Aberdeen. Um, mm-hmm. Love Nirvana. I uh, still do. A bunch of other, like, you know, mainstream kind of rock bands is what I, I listen to. I love Slipknot. Uh, that comes to shock to some people. But it's not too far off. Slipknot is that, like, heavy metal kind of music. But, I don't know, I enjoy it. The sounds more than the lyrics is most of the time you don't understand the lyrics.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially with Slipknot, the very few songs that I've listened, very few, I try to expand my music library just to make it more right. odd and, and bizarre. I have one good friend that is helping me expand a little bit. And right. part of the reason my indie pop music has grown a lot, and I put that accountable to my female friends, especially a couple of them from the leadership camp days, it's like, when I look at the library and thinking, hmm, what's this song? The title sounds intriguing. And then I would listen to a whole album. It's like, yep, I literally wasted a day <laughs> enjoying <laughs> this music. And it's been stuck with me ever since. But that's the thing. As the series goes on, people understand that we have our main passions. But when it all comes down to it, there's something with our music that is just all over the place. Sure, you have certain people that say, oh, I only listen to one thing publicly admit I was like, oh, I only listen to this. But deep down inside. All of us listen to a lot of stuff that we like, but we won't say it, you know? Uh, I I have no problem, because I'm the very opposite end of the spectrum from
0: Metallica and Slipknot. There's Hans Zimmer and Brian Tyler, composers who've made, like, video game scores and all. I love, like, that orchestra, classical, like, type of music. I, I have a, a real sweet spot for violins that I, like some, like, hard, like, I guess, like, metal-ish type of violin play. Is right in my wheelhouse. There, I listen to a lot of of Eminem. I have a you know a, a great appreciation for the way he raps uh, as he started out as, as a kid and the way he is now. I mean, what is he? 47 years old and he is still kicking. Man, this man is he is on something. Eminem is insane. And obviously, being a fader kid, you you can't go wrong with with musicals. So you know, Hamilton and Chicago. I, I was in Chicago when High School Musical. I was a part of. Those are all my Spotify library and just other musicals I've seen, like the Phantom of the Opera. I, I love the overture in that musical. and It's just all over the place for me.
1: Speaking of Hamilton, you heard about the Disney Plus thing, right? I have heard of that, about it. That, that seems like it's going to be something to maybe actually force me to go get Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to theater, I still have not seen *Lame Miss*, and that was the thing about leadership camp about Mount Triumph 2015 with a group of people, notably one person that studied at BYU. With a group, her and a group of people were talking about *Lame Miss*. It's like, okay, okay, okay. I saw, what's my
0: freshman year? Um, so yeah, you know, three, four years ago, uh, four years ago at this point actually. This week, four years ago, I saw, I saw *Lame Miss*. My favorite song from that show is Look Down.
1: For my mindset, so I'm thinking, okay, I'll probably watch Lame Miz. I even brought the DVD. It hasn't been, been open, it's still in the sealed. <laughs> we have the DVD, the family has it, but they never bought it open. I haven't had the time to even see it. And I'm going to probably purposely wait until <laughs> later in the year to finally see Lame Miz because that's how I am. When I say I have not seen Breaking Bad, I literally mean I've never I have seen not. It. I just finished watching the entire office literally just this year this year I literally finished so that I made this joke that based on my trends of popular shows I probably will not not watch it until seven or eight years after it's over and so far it's been right on the money (laughs) I
0: I really haven't gotten into tv shows again I'm big on the gaming and and youtube youtubers for the most part but really it's just come down to one. I kind of only watch you know racing youtube videos and not even like racing youtubers like videos about actual racing i I can't stand some of the nascar gaming youtubers uh, at this point
1: (laughs) yeah Uh, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother animal i have my stance how i feel about that community It it definitely plays a big role why I'm not around that threshold anymore and why I stopped. But that's my decision. I saw the writing on the wall. It's like, they can do whatever they want. They can act the way they want to act. That's just not me. At the end of the
0: day, I think it's just that I've kind of outgrown that. When I was like 11, I'd watch, you know, NASCAR gaming all the time because that was what I was into. (gasps) I need a PS3. I, I love NASCAR, this and that. And, like, so that, that's all I watch Now, like, the only relatively close to gaming YouTube I watch is Minilad, and he's uh, he, he games a little bit, but he's far from that. He's now, like, a, a, a Reddit reactor for the most part. And I, I enjoy his content. Other than that, yeah, my YouTube spread is not very far at this point as well. It's pretty much gaming and broadcasting that, that overwhelms my life at this point.
1: Yeah, when it comes to those people that do games, I only watch very few and every now and then I'll catch it if I got time. And I'm happy with the ones that I watch. The other ones I could care less, to be frank and blunt with you. But hey, they got their audience. They got their fan base. More power too, though. I got my own priorities to worry about. So, it is what it is. But hey, we're all human. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on in this program. So where can we find you as far as social media is concerned? As I
0: said at the top of the show, I'm huge in the broadcasting. So most of my broadcasts, you know, OBS crashing provided, are on the Extreme World Racing League YouTube channel. If you search it up, it should definitely be the first suggestion. Blue logo, orange lettering at this point. I might change it in the future. As far as Twitter, I have a personal Twitter account. That's at EmersonJRDon.com. A-R-D-O-N, 48. Yeah, I guess that's what I primarily use. Uh, oh, my Instagram, I guess. At well, w. Or, okay, I'll just spell it out. <laughs> at w-o-a-h underscore e-m-m-o underscore t-h-o. So at woah, well, m-o-v-o. Uh, that's my personal Instagram, but uh, if you want to know about me personally, that's where you, you want to go. And yeah. All
1: right. So if there was a couple words to describe how this show went, what would it be?
0: Well, I think it was a – first, I think it was a great opportunity for us to, like, catch up a little bit. And while we know each other pretty well, this show really helped us know each other even more. Even though, you know, we're good friends and for five years, we we now have, like, a a deep understanding for the most part on, like, each other's stories – and you know, I hope that everybody else would get that. Whoever's listening to this would feel the same way. As far as you're concerned, or anybody who may know me, who I probably will post this link on my socials, who tunes into this as well.
1: Uh, no doubt about it. That's that's what the show is all about, kind of. Not just get people to tell their stories, because, like I said, those who are on will get their voices heard that want to talk about their journeys. And, of course, we definitely done that. And it certainly helps we can have the time to discuss it. Obviously, we've known each other for a long time. But I felt like this recording and this episode, overall, it's definitely been an absolute pleasure to discuss all this stuff. And just bring up other passions. And at the end of the day if they see those different passions and they can relay. I don't know. I felt like this podcast has done its purpose so far.
0: Right. Totally. Yeah. I, I think people who know me from the outside, who just know my voice on an iRacing race or an NASCAR Heat 4 or F1 race, uh, I think will be surprised to a certain extent to know that I was a fader kid and that I did bunches of plays. I mean, I've done 22 shows, whether it be on stage or off stage. I put in over 21 hours into my high school theater production company, something that I'm very passionate about. I kind of put that over my uh, broadcasting for the most part because I I just had so much passion for it. And now that's going to pretty much transition into pharmacy, maybe community theater for a little bit, who knows. But uh, yeah, just the underlying layers for me personally, just my voice on the internet
1: over some race cars on a virtual sim. There's a lot more behind that. Of course, you'll definitely continue to do your thing. I know the sky's the limit for you. Obviously, I'll be rooting for you for sure. And from my end, hopefully once everything gets better, and if I come down to Texas, I'll make sure to get more advice on what to get for a Whataburger because, boy, (laughs) those Whataburgers are actually pretty damn good, and I do love the fact that they actually have paper straws that actually is durable, that I enjoy. Seattle take notes Make it tad bit durable Not that soggy crap Got it? Yeah
0: and... the, wor- the worst thing you want in your Whataburger drink is Me falling apart straw Yeah
1: <laughs> So Texas got the advantage on that boy And with that being said It's time to shut the lens Oh Whataburger What a burger! What a burger! What a burger! Finally tried it at Texas in 2018. I wasn't too sure what I wanted to have, so I had Kate Guerra, who now does stuff for the Tennessee Titans. Get used to do IndyCar stuff. Used to facilitate the the pressers and whatnot. I I remember. I can't remember what exactly she recommended me to try. But I'm pretty sure I did, and I tell you, it's pretty damn good. The fries are damn good. It's better than In-N-Out. Which, I find it funny that In-N-Out is the most popular food chain in the state of Washington, yet we don't even have a In-N-Out for crying out loud. Barstool with their polls and researchers, where are they getting this crap? It's like with Washington with Mod Pizza. Mod Pizza... I've seen it. I haven't tried it since like twenty eleven or tw- 2012 or 2013. It's been a long time, so I have no opinion of mod peaks because it's been ages ago to remember it. Yes, I know I've been I'm going on a little bit of a tirade when it comes to food, but dicks Dicks I, I could have sworn dicks is the big thing in Washington. Because it's I don't I don't know. It's whatever the polls want, is whatever the polls say. But there are no In-N-Out in the state of Washington. But there are mod pizza in the state of Washington. Man, Whataburger, damn good. In-N-Out, it's good. But the fries, mm, nah, doesn't do it for me. Not good, fam. Not good. That will do it with this episode of Behind the Exploratory Lens, And I hope you enjoyed this interview that I had with Emerson Arden. As I mentioned, June 18th will be the big special episode where we jump back to that big conversation that is going on with our country and our world. And fingers crossed, hopefully people do send their recordings so we can hear every one of these Because I feel like we should not be ignored. Nobody should be ignored in these circumstances if they feel like they're unjust and they demand change. In the meantime... I hope you enjoyed this episode. and Make sure you find me on Facebook through the title behind the Exploratory Lenses. Instagram, LuisDTorres94. 94. L-U-I-S-D-S-N-D-A-V-I-T-O-R-R-E-S-9-4. 94. Find me on Twitter, at TheLTFiles. And of course, you can listen to this program through SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, Google, and iHeartRadio. Until we meet again, this has been... Behind the exploratory lenses. Catch you guys later, and please have a safe and good rest of your week. And and then then the whole unnecessary war with Nork. Ugh.
0: I don't really call that one a war, but like he.
1: Well, oh, no. it was from his perspective, and then oh,
0: I—anything just... from his perspective. I... First of all, this man was starstruck, and uh, like he couldn't like run his own league with like uh, at this point like a thirty thousand subscriber YouTuber in his race. Like he, he was starstruck, and he couldn't do it. And anytime. We, I was streaming because I would used to stream the races on PS3 on my Elgato capture card and my terrible laptop. At almost any time something bad was happening, he would come on the mic like, "Guys, guys, Nork is watching," and it was just annoying. Man, focused too much on how he was perceived and how his league was perceived.